Hello and welcome to the Courage to Be podcast, where we explore how to raise your game, lean into discomfort and have more impact and purpose. I am your host, Sinead Millard. Welcome to this week's episode of The Courage to Be, where I speak with Claire Edwards, the principal of BrainSmart Consulting. I actually received a recommendation late last year to invite Claire onto the show, and I am so glad we were able to make this happen. This was personally a very uplifting and inspiring conversation. Claire starts out by sharing some of her earlier years and in particular her dad leaving at the age of 16 which coincided with her moving into what turned out to be a very abusive relationship. Claire talks to some of the emotional experiences she moved through as she transitioned out of this relationship and where that took her to. Claire's capacity to see the gift and the challenge is incredibly inspiring and perhaps a big part of what has enabled her to get to where she is today both personally and professionally. Claire it is a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you it's a pleasure to be on it. Just before we spoke actually I asked Claire if there's anything out of bounds for the interview and uh, she said no and that she's far too old for that. So I think that just gives us some idea of the uh, spirit that we're dealing with today. (laughs) So Claire, we spoke uh, a few weeks ago for the first time after Mm -hmm. I received a recommendation to invite you onto the show. And I was immediately blown away uh, by your energy, your strength and your honesty. And within minutes, I could see your embodiment of the courage to be. Throughout our conversation, you spoke about numerous transitions and what it was like for you to be between two worlds of the known and the unknown. Can you take us back to your earlier years and talk to your experience of perhaps one of your first major transitions? Yes, of course. So um, just to give a bit of background to that, Sinead, I grew up um, in a very typical family in Liverpool, Catholic family. I was the youngest of five and, you know, it was expected that we'd sort of get engaged by 20 and married by 22 and then and then often and having kids. And that didn't quite happen for me. It certainly happened for my elder sibling. So when I was uh, 16, I was in between school and I was going to be going to catering college. And I was, it was actually the night before catering college, uh, starting there. And I was upstairs and I was checking my knives and checking my whites. You know, I was going to be in the kitchen for the first day. And mum called me down into the kitchen. I opened the door and she said, "Um, I want you to be witness that your father's asking me for a divorce. And I said, I beg your pardon. She repeated herself. Dad looked at me and said, will you look after the dog? And I said, yes. And he left. And I I didn't see him for nearly three years after that. And I remember going to college the next morning, chopping carrots. And I didn't even know the lad next to me. And I said, you know, my dad went last night. And he said, oh, where'd you go, love? I said, I I don't know. And he's not coming back. And the the sort of backstory to that was that, in between leaving school and starting college, 
I, you know, became completely infatuated and fell in love with this guy uh, who I didn't realize at all was an abuser. And, you know, the signs are really subtle. So he'd start making fun of my friends. Um, He'd buy me clothes and keep them in his wardrobe. And I started seeing my friends less and less. And that's absolutely how it starts. So in terms of transitions, that was a bit of a crazy time to start with. And um, that relationship actually did lead into uh, physical violence, emotional violence, sexual violence. And that uh, happened for about two years. And it was um, it was a hard time for me because uh, all my siblings had left home and were living in different parts of the UK. And of course, this guy had taken me away from my friends. Um, and I didn't really yeah. know these people at college. So yeah, it was a, it was a bit of a toughie at 16, I, I have to admit. Wow. And, and how old were you, Claire, when your dad left? At 16. Yeah. 16. So this all happened at a similar time. And can and when you look back, because I'm actually, it's so interesting that you began with your childhood. Um, I was watching the Dave Letterman show last night and mm-hmm. I was kind of seeking inspiration before um, having this conversation. And, and more and more, I'm becoming intrigued by or childhood and the influence that that has in our kind yeah. of adult years and our early adult years. And as you look at that time, what for you is the connection between or is there a connection between your dad leaving and you meeting this particular individual? Uh, the, the, the connection actually was that I might. So, so that's a really good question. I'm thinking as I speak, my relationship with my dad was absolutely fabulous for the first four years of my life because mum was absolutely knackered looking after the other four. And I had this fabulous relationship with dad. He taught me to knit, how to sew, how to tell the time, Mm. and was a fabulous storyteller. And then he became involved in politics and the council and uh, the Catenians, which is a sort of Catholic version of the Masons and Liverpool Football Club and everything. So I then really had no relationship with him. And I think that meeting this guy and he was so charismatic and and often abusers are extremely charismatic. And I just I I needed him. He he was a replacement for my dad. But I can only see that in hindsight. There's no way I could have seen it or would have acknowledged Mm. it there and then at all. And and it's interesting how we we seek that form of connection in whatever form it takes. Yes. We'll accept, we'll accept anything. Yeah. And how long did you stay in that relationship? Or can you maybe talk us through how you transitioned um, out of that relationship and what that experience was like for you? Yes. So that was um, when I was 18. So the night before my 18th birthday, um, we got engaged and it was a lovely evening. His parents came down and my mum was there and and we had this lovely dinner. And the night of my 18th birthday, I thought he had a surprise planned for me, but he didn't. Um, He went to work. He was working in a rugby club. I did my economics homework and darned his socks. And he came home at four o'clock in the morning, having um, had a relationship with a barmaid, shall we say. 
So I ran away to an aunt in Scotland, uh, spent a couple of days there. But, you know, in, in abuse situations, people say, why do you go back? Why do you go back? They, you know, in my case, he had an amazing way of, of making me feel guilty. Um, but the, the the seed had been sown where I was thinking, you know, either uh, either I'm going to end up dead or he's going to end up dead. And I started building the courage and the confidence to leave. And and believe you me, it does. It takes a huge amount of courage to leave a relationship like that. And I realized that I'd actually have to leave the country. And therein lies my story of hope and positivity because I fled to Holland and started a new life mm. there and learned the language and got married there in 2009. So, you know, I'm talking the late 70s in, in the early story. So, and this is what um, I am so grateful for in every um, challenge in my life. Uh, on reflection, I can look back and find an absolute gift in it. And that move to Holland saved me. And what has enabled you or what enabled you back then to be able to see the gift and the challenge at that young age? Oh, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure I did see the gift in the challenge then. I think early on, I was just in survival mode. I was still in fear as well that he would find me and contact me. But I've always been curious about new experiences. You know, all my other siblings not only still live in Liverpool, but most of them still live off one street. And I knew from an early age that I was an explorer, that that wasn't going to be the life for me. And when I got to Holland, I immersed myself in learning the language. Uh, I learned to horse ride. And it was just about, you know, the thought that, okay, I, I this, is, this is a new opportunity for me now. This is a new beginning. And it had taken a while to lead up to that you know it's not that we had absolutely no contact at all but it was each time it was me building my self-respect because when 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 you're in a situation of abuse it's more the emotional abuse that that cuts the deepest and that, that sort of really gets to your to your self-esteem and your self-respect so just I think being more present in a way, even though I didn't realize it at the time that when people said something nice to me, it was like, oh my gosh, that's a compliment. I need to say thank you to that rather than brush it aside. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think it was the immersion yep. in new experiences and that seems to have been a pattern in my life. And I like how you draw on your kind of capacity and your intention to build self-respect right because I think that as we continue to build that self-respect I feel like that's the foundation from which we're able to operate right absolutely and I don't believe and, that yeah. it ever really stops but yeah so so you know you touched on being present was there anything else that kind of enabled you to continue to build that self-respect I was very lucky, Sinead, in that, so I basically went to go and um, work in a hotel as a general assistant for six months. And the guy who was the chef in the hotel took me under his wing and he was one of 13 children. And 
So uh, each evening we'd go out and meet a new sibling. And I don't know how many, because I think he had about 100 cousins <laughs> or something like that. Um, and it's interesting that, you know, in, in my in my business life, I, I do a lot of work with resilience. And one of the key foundations of resilience is building a support network. So again, it wasn't conscious, but, but realizing, looking back now, realizing that support network that I had, and actually I didn't tell anybody anything about my past. So I could be whoever I wanted to be. I was still me. But I made a conscious decision to say, no, they, I'm, I don't need to bring my emotional or mental baggage with me over the, the, the channel or the, the North Sea as it is. Mm. Um, and, and I had fabulous support and they're still friends to this day. Well, I'm always intrigued, actually, by the kind of geographical um will we make these moves geographically and how that kind of almost enables us to in some way recreate Mm. um, a particular identity or leave a particular identity behind. And I definitely see this as a pattern within my own life. Um, And whilst it's not always necessary to move country, um, perhaps we are able to recreate when needed without geographically moving. But I do think that there's, there's something interesting in that. And and as you as you talk, I'm I'm kind of really being pulled into better understand the feelings that you experienced across each stage of your your transition. And what I mean by that is, so very often working with clients one on one, there's a real there's a deep loneliness that people experience when they move through any transition and society Mm. doesn't always support us to recognize that there's kind of three stages or there's certain feelings that are part of any transition Uh, we just kind of move through it and sometimes we're not sure if the grief the fear the vulnerability of all these feelings are are normal or if we're just perhaps suffering from anxiety or whatever that may look like and I guess if you take me through so I'm I'm picking up a sense of um, so when you arrived in Holland there was a kind of a sense of adventure and maybe um, starting to get a little bit excited about that new beginning if I'm if I'm hearing that correctly Um, and before perhaps reaching Holland what were some of perhaps the more (laughs) difficult feelings that you experienced at that early stages of the transition Oh, you've you you have read me so well, Sinead. Uh, it was sheer terror. It was absolute fear. Yeah. I had um, I had this lovely little flat in Liverpool, which had handed over to my sister to rent, and I was supposed to be going with my girlfriend. And two weeks before we were due to go, she dropped out. She got cold feet. So here, here I am on this ferry from Hull to Rotterdam it's 14 hours I couldn't afford a cabin and I went up on deck and I looked back and I couldn't see England anymore and I looked forward and I couldn't see Holland I I was just surrounded by ocean and I was gripped with sheer terror and fear I was 20 I'd just turned 20 I was going to a country that I didn't know the language um, I'd, I think I'd managed to learn look out for jellyfish. <laughs> That's very helpful. Um, <laughs> and when I got there, uh, I, you know, I would, a, a lot of self-talk, you can do this, Claire, you can do this. And I knew that, I, you know, I was told. And remember, in those days, it was letter writing. 
I was told that this guy would be there to, mm. to meet me at the train station and there wasn't anybody. Um, and to cut a long story short, I ended up having to make my own way to the hotel. My hands were covered in blisters because my suitcase was full of cassette tapes. Didn't bother bringing clothes. Oh. <laughs> I love my music. Um, Mixed tapes. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. And I'd spent all my money that I had on a taxi. So it, it wasn't, yeah, it, 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 was a, it was a very fearful start. And, and actually, in a way, gosh, you're helping me piece things together here. Um, in a way, the strategies I used to survive the relationship abuse were the strategies that I used to get to 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 make this new start in Holland I, I remember thinking you know okay today was a bit of a shit day you can edit that out if you want yes. um, <laughs> uh, the people in the hotel weren't very nice um and mm. I thought that's okay that's okay tomorrow's tomorrow's going to be a new day what is there a way that I can communicate differently that they'll be nicer to me or um and and so yes, I did. It, and and I think you know the, that's a really good point that that you're bringing up now. I think when we're in the thick of it, we forget that we've already used those resources. We've already got that courage in us. But sometimes when you're in the thick of it and you can't see light at the end of the tunnel, you you, you just lose awareness that you have access to those resources. Thank you for asking me that mm, question. Yeah. No, because I think it's interesting very often as well. Like there's a part of us that somehow feels broken, even though that's just the phase of the transition that we're in. But, mm. but yeah, there is that. And, and as you're as you're kind of explaining the strategies, so to speak, which were perhaps um, unconscious strategies that you tapped into oh, yeah. back then. But again, you know, it, I'm going to make the link back to childhood again. Was there a particular parent, a particular role model that in some way did nurture those particular strat- strategies um, within you? No, no, not at all. Mm. Um, my parents, the the way that my parents showed love and support and, you know, and I'm no different from many uh, of the families that, that surrounded us, was to make sure we were fed and clothed and warm and dry. Um, there was never any affection. They never kissed us. They never said they loved us. Um, they, my parents were out six nights a week, so I'd be doing my own homework and, and they wouldn't have had a clue. So I think I, think I drew on self-reliance rather than a role model um you know my my siblings had left home um so there wasn't really anybody I was I was looking to yeah me (laughs) yeah which which is amazing and I think that you know something as you talked about kind of those earlier childhood years I'm thinking about the concept of self-worth and self-acceptance and fundamentally that being the foundation of of our self-confidence and how we show up in the world um have you been able to and I want to go back to you know obviously what happened after Holland and take us through that Mm -hmm. journey but um on the topic of self-acceptance and self-worth has that been something that you've had to work on over the years and 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 if so how have you done that 
Yeah, very much so. Um, and I think it's a, it's a continual work in progress. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example is, you know, I work as a, as a facilitator and a, and a trainer and a speaker. And so if there are, uh, if there's uh, feedback forms that we receive and, you know, I've got, I've got 15 that are, you know, 10 out of 10, this was amazing. And one that was there, guess what one I'm focusing on? You know, we default, <laughs> we default to the negative. And, um, and, and I let that impact my mood, my, uh, a sense of well-being. And I think there's this, there, there is this continual internal strive um, to to be better, to accept myself um, for who I am. Not physically. I haven't got a problem with you know uh, accepting myself physically, but you know, looking at traits and attributes and questioning, you know, am I empathic enough? Um, uh, that that's that that's the current one is is around empathy do i listen well enough um yeah that there's for for me it is a work in progress and uh, and i'm okay with that i'm actually okay with that and and you know if i if i never get to tick the box that's okay i did my best yeah and i think well, as you say that as well i'm i'm hearing that in a healthy way in the sense that you know it's it's aspirational right it's um versus i and i know something that i work on and and a lot of my clients work on is it's perhaps seeking that worth or that love um externally excessively right so needing mm. that external validation mm. needing that sense of and and that's where i think so i think that there's you know i, I there's this balance it's i feel like it's a spectrum right because we need to continue to strive to grow to improve we're, we're, yeah. we're primal that's that's life and i think that's good um but when it kind of goes too far the other way and, and we need that constant reminder from the outside world that you're enough, you're okay. And then we're back uh, on the yeah, train again yeah. and we're almost looking yeah, for it again yeah. the next day. Is that something that you've ever juggled with? Uh, no, not to, not to that extent. And it's funny just, just listening mm. to you in, in terms of, um, I'm, I don't know, I'm changing the subject slightly, but in terms of the, the person who I share my life with now, um, I met him when I was 40 because I'd put these huge defense walls up for, for, for many, many years, got married for the first time at 47. And all of the character traits that he has are around affirming. <laughs> you know, he's so respectful in his communication. He's extremely affectionate um, and he's extremely affirming, but without me feeling the need for that that's just been sort of I think the blessing that came later on for all the trials and tribulations I had mm. earlier the gift and the challenge as you so lovely mm, again yeah <laughs> yeah okay nice so can you take us back to Holland right so we kind of jumped mm. on that so you're you're now this new this new beginning what happened next and some of your experience throughout Holland yes yeah, sure so I the, my job there was initially for six months excuse me and then um the the chef who I said who was so supportive he ended up opening his own restaurant and we ran that together we were never we were never partners or anything we were always we were always good friends but that was a fabulous time that was just um you know 
I was again I was I was 21 I was half running a business and and learning the language and that was great and but the the restaurant ran its course and I went back to the UK and I got itchy feet again so I <laughs> I don't know if this is courage Sinead or stupidity <laughs> I got my sister's friend who was bilingual to write an application letter in French and I only had O-level French, so year 10 French. And I got a job in Switzerland, in Geneva, in a hotel <laughs> based on this application letter. So I went to, I went to Switzerland and, um, and I, I met the general manager and he was looking a bit confused. And I said, oh, you know, it's been a long journey. I'm very tired. <laughs> and so... I um I had to learn French pretty quickly there and I'd also um not lied but fibbed about having worked a computerized system in a hotel I think I'd seen one yeah <laughs> and uh and <laughs> and and again it's you know drawing on past uh, survival techniques and I actually ended up being very very lonely in Geneva it was nothing like Holland it was it was a difficult time and I was only there for six months and ended up coming back to the UK um, but yeah in, term, in terms of transitions you know my eldest sibling is is living in house number three and I'm currently on move number 32 <laughs> quite different lives yeah and has that exploration kind of helped you become more of who it is you are today very much so. Um, I think I'm way more flexible to change, agile with change that, you know, whereas uh, it may be in earlier years, there'd be a major change and I'd be like a deer in the headlights and, oh, what the hell am I going to do? Um, now it's, you know, circumstances might, I don't know, for example, we don't get our lease renewed on, on our apartment It'll be like, okay, great. So what are our options? You know, and, and, and this is mm. uh, and and this is the gift that's built up over the years to say, well, you know, the event in and of itself is is neutral. It's how I respond to it. And I've got a choice as to how I respond to it. And I can throw my toys out the pram and I can get upset and I can blame everybody else and say it's not fair. Or I can say, OK, come on, pick yourself up, dust yourself down and start all over again and, and see see what's available. And, and actually now I think I'm at a point in my life where when the proverbial hits the fan at that time, I'm actively looking for the gift in the challenge. It's amazing, isn't it, how, how that can become a way of um a way of being it's it's almost like a training I guess and, and does that play into the work that you do as well and maybe maybe that's a nice segue into some of the work that you're doing today yeah very much so so um you know I said with you that I'd be completely open and honest on this podcast and so I've been in Sydney for just over a year now and this is the third time that I'm starting my business from scratch um, so when I came to Australia the first time I started from scratch, we popped back to the UK for three years, I started from scratch and now I'm starting from scratch again and I didn't know anybody in Sydney. So in terms of um, getting clients, earning money, it's been an extremely tough, lean year. Um, 
And again, I've used my skills of being able to reframe the situation to, um, you know, I'm a bloody good budgeter. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> I, I am a fabulous charity shopper, an op shopper. And, you know, I've done all this thing this year and things are starting, starting to, to pick up now for me. But I, I am so passionate about helping people to uh, develop their thinking in this way because I see people really struggling through change really struggling and often it's because you know the work that they chose they chose it because they had values of stability and security and consistency and I haven't had any of that since I was 16 so I've learned to I've learned to deal with that and and again, it's coming back to empathy. If I take my shoes off and walk in the shoes of my clients and, you know, the people who are in those workshops who are just thinking it's the end of the world, then I can, you know, metaphorically hold their hand and take them with me on the journey. And I think that's why it is important that I share my personal stories in those workshops and get them to see that, there are ways to think differently about the situation that you're in. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's easy, and and that empathy is really really important because for some people it's so hard to see just the tiniest tiniest light at the end of the tunnel. But my goodness, it's worth it when they see you. You, you get you see it in their heads. There's a tiny flicker, and and I can see them thinking, yes, yes, they're finding a different way to think about this. Mm, yeah that's I love how you kind of articulated that and in terms of your capacity to support them and seeing a different way what does that look like that's holding the space for them that's that's being Mm. there with them it's not judging it's listening it's finding the questions that will facilitate the insight for them you know quite often we we have this positive intention to help people and we want to give them advice and it's so rarely taken because they haven't they haven't had the the um, privilege to get that insight for themselves that aha moment and I think more and more I learn to sit with silence and just smile and listen and I can see that they're they're processing something. So holding the space is so, so very important. Silence. You know, I know it's an old cliche, Sinead, but silence is golden. And just shutting up and listening, <laughs> actively listening. Mm, absolutely. And I think as you kind of, obviously the insight for everybody is so different, right? But in your work with clients, do you ever see trends in terms of what's holding people in certain situations, be that a career, relationship, whatever that may be, um, despite perhaps a lot of suffering? Well, sorry, what's holding them back or what's, you, you what's holding them in situations that are no. Yeah. So what's holding them in situations that are no 
that, that, that are no longer serving them. So situations ah, that yeah. like I work with a lot of clients who are perhaps in, in careers that they're quite genuinely, you know, ready to, to move on from. And there's a degree of suffering. I mean, I don't think, you know, of course, we're, we're dealing with humans here. There's no one size fits all. But I'm interested um, to tap into your experience of working with so many clients and, and to ask you, do you see a pattern as to what's holding people in situations that um, are no longer working for them? Yeah, yeah, it's a, that's a great question. I think there's a number of things. There's um, the, the more obvious is the fear of the unknown, the the fear of uncertainty. Often it's lack of self-belief that, you know, well, if I, if this isn't what no longer what I want to do, what am I capable of doing? And so it's the self-talk around, you know, you're safer off where you are, even though you're unhappy. Um, I think there's a feeling of, not being in control, not being uh, able to influence an outcome as much as they realize they can after they've gone through coaching or or, or gone through a program. Um, Often, you know, it can also be uh, external influence from um, significant others in their life. So there might be people saying, you know, why why would you want to do this? You know, you're safe where you are or why upset the apple cart? Why throw the baby out with the bathwater? But then they're living internally with this incongruence, this, you know, this what if. And uh, one one of my mentors who has since passed, Wayne Dyer, I, I love what he used to say is, you know, you don't want to be lying on your deathbed saying, gosh, I wish I'd lived the life that I really wanted to live. And this is also the work of Bronnie Weir, the Australian nurse who interviewed people who were dying. And and their biggest wish was, I wish I'd stayed true to myself. And so if, you know, if there's any way that I can help facilitate people to be true to themselves, to get them to see that that the future, the unknown, the uncertain doesn't have to be scary, that we can find a way to change that fear into excitement or or to sit with the unknown and to find opportunities, options, choices, um, then I'm doing my my life's and work and, and, and my love's work. But I feel as as you speak, <laughs> I'm feeling a lot of sensations in my body throughout this interview, both, you know, just I think your capacity to share openly both about your own stories, but then even in terms of your description here. And I think you talk about congruence and you know, when we choose to live a life that's perhaps not very congruent with, with our values, um, mm. how have you seen that show up or how have you seen that impact people? I think that often is uh, the evidence that I've seen of that is where people um, turn inside themselves. Um, they're, they're, they're struggling so much. Um, they've received sort of feedback externally that they you know, shouldn't take that new path. They're not sure that they have the courage to take that new path. And and I see I see someone who's growing smaller day by day and and struggling internally and often not knowing where to go to or what the next step is to move forwards. Um, and it's it you know sometimes you can just 
you can just sense that in people and you think, gosh, you're not living the life that you really want to live. And yeah, I know a lot of people, they don't know what they want to do next. And, and you know, from a big picture perspective, Sinead, I don't think we have enough people available to help to help people in career transitions, you know, that it should be so readily available and within organizations as well that we pick up on, hey, you know, you don't seem to be in alignment with yourself. You don't seem to be happy in yourself. You don't seem to be at peace with yourself. How can we help you? And if it's helping someone transition out, great, because they're probably not going to be productive in the role that they're in anyway. And I think there's a big gap. I think there's something missing with helping people transition. I completely agree. And and I feel very passionate about the topic so much that I devoted a solo episode on the topic. And some of the emails that I received, they were, you know, they were really eye-opening in the sense that, you know, a lot of individuals who are who are very self-aware and who are very um open to kind of researching and reading a lot of the theory that exists out there. And the, and and something that kind of really touched me was the fact that they felt that the human stories were missing. So the stories yeah. um, in which people kind of shared their journey towards kind of moving through a transition. And yeah. and again, that's why that's why I love the podcast. It's it's that opportunity to tap into these stories because there's so much out there now. There's so much theory. There's so much res- resources. Um, but I really think that it's the sharing um, of those very open honest vulnerable stories that can in fact just for that moment in time tell us that we're not broken we're not mad um, and that it is in fact um very normal and I think yeah you know it's it's not a very um talked about topic I even think about if we think about the transition and I talk about this in the solo episode like of becoming a parent or of becoming a wife right Mm. it seems unnatural at any point in time to perhaps feel a sense of grief for what you've left behind it's almost like I you know I'm this is a new beginning I'm a parent it's a very happy time I should be very grateful this is wonderful um but like any transition that also has the first stage which is you know a mourning for what's been left behind absolutely Um, and I think sometimes it's those more uncomfortable feelings um or if we're leaving a career for example if we're seen to um grieve that then maybe we've made the wrong decision but in fact it's just a part of the process it's completely and utterly normal yeah and I think that's what um I am I'm driven to normalize change for people to get them to see that it is perfectly normal it's it's in our neurobiology that we will mourn the old that there is a passing through it that's why it's a transition where we're we're changing form and I think we it's important to acknowledge and give grace to the old before we try and embrace the new and you know and I wasn't fully aware of that in my earlier years and my transitions I would just you know this is exciting this is new this is great I'm gonna forge ahead um I had no uh acknowledgement or 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 grace for that old um 
and I think again in you know in 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 organizations and with people we we've got to bring that human centric focus um you know acknowledging if somebody's resisting change it means they're hurting <laughs> it means that there's mm. you know there's something they need to be acknowledged and ignoring it or you know coaching against it you know oh you come and see the benefits instead no see me hear me feel me acknowledge me and that's what we need to do gosh that I think this takes us to a, a beautiful place and Claire this has been um Yes, one of the more enjoyable conversations and part mm. of me wishes that I was sitting with you there in Sydney um, with a glass of wine and being able to have this conversation, <laughs> of course, <laughs> but it's been such a pleasure, incredibly eye opening, incredibly insightful. And I think someday perhaps we will sit in person and have this I'm sure conversation. Um, but for yeah, for now, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And Sinead, thank you for your empathic listening. I, the silence, the acknowledgement, the respect, it was beautiful. Thank you. Pleasure. Talk soon, Claire. Thank you so much for listening. If there's something that you've heard in this episode that has resonated with you, or perhaps you think it could benefit someone else, then please do share this link or start the conversation. If you haven't done so already, click on the subscribe button in your listening app. And as always, I really value your feedback. So please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. And for more information, full show notes, links and resources, you can pop over to my website, SineadMillard.com. See you next time back here on The Courage To Be.